Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams, and today is an exciting day. You know, back in my infancy in maintenance and reliability, one of the first things I did was take this little training game at a conference. And then eventually we had it internal in the company, but, and it was a giant eye opener. And today is an extremely special guest for me. Um, it, you know, the whole family's always been just incredibly polite, knowledgeable, shares their knowledge. Just, I, I don't even know what to do other than just introduce this person. So today's special guest is none other than Michelle Henley. Michelle, welcome. Thank you, George. Great introduction. I appreciate that. <laughs> awesome. So, so just so people know, M Michelle's the president of TMG Frontline Solutions. She spent the last 25 years, which basically means she was six when she started working for the company, <laughs> um, helping hundreds of organizations navigate, navigate difficult waters of organizational change using a game-based scenario. Her enthusiastic facilitation style, I can attest to this, by the way, along with the innovative workshop design, bring the workforce energetically on board as their site's reliability improvement efforts. Um, so she's also co-author of various articles uh, and the book Level 5 Leadership at Work, uh, which was the sequel to the popular Don't Just Fix It, Improve It. Michelle's become a thought leader on the emerging and often misunderstood topic of defect elimination. Nice intro. All right. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, Michelle, we've known each other for a really long time, but maybe listeners don't. So what the heck is all that stuff? What's defect elimination and what's frontline solutions? Yeah. So let me start with uh, my definition of a defect. There are a lot of, of definitions floating out there. The one that we've been using is anything that erodes value reduces production, compromises health, safety, or environmental performance, or creates waste. So very broad definition um, in sort of really basic layman terms. It's just if, if things aren't working right, there's some defects in there. And so um, when I talk about a defect elimination program, I'm looking at one that aims to involve absolutely everybody at a site. And uh, we're targeting sort of the smallest, most irritating problems. I think you and, and Joe refer to those as the minor stops um, that individually don't account for much, but they happen frequently. And so when you add them up, they have a pretty significant impact. But ultimately, the goal of the work that we do is, is to change the culture of an organization from reactive to proactive, but accomplish, accomplishing this through lots of small actions by lots of people in the organization. Um, and so that's why when we were when I, I purchased the technology from my father in, in 2015, um, had to come up with a name for a company. And so we came up with TMG, Manufacturing Game, um, but Frontline Solutions, because we really are focused at getting to everybody in the organization, but specifically focused on the folks on the front line. They're the people that are closest to the equipment. They notice the defects sooner than anybody else. And, and they're the people that have the most control in terms of putting defects into the system or, or avoiding putting defects into the system. Um, so that's really where we where we like to work is where sort of the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Awesome. So it's time for me to earn a drink. Um, so <laughs> let me just explain this to people that are that are on the call. So a lot of organizations, they go, well, we would like to do TPM, but that's a lot of work. So we're not going to do TPM. And a lot of their TPM initiatives, you know, end up 
having CI teams that sit inside an office and try to figure out the problems. What I love about the manufacturing game and the defect elimination process that you implement through the use of the manufacturing game and all the subsequent frontline solutions um, uh, pieces is that it is at the shop floor. That the folks that are that understand the equipment on both maintenance and operations, they already know what the defects are. And 90% of the time, they know what the solutions are, but no one's listening. And the approach that you take in the manufacturing game and in all of the implementation services along with that is really to drive it from within that anybody can identify a defect, that anybody can solution a defect. It doesn't take budget. It doesn't take a lot of things to be successful. And I think a lot of companies get afraid of, you know, TPM and all of the steps it takes and the proceduralization of it. And what you're saying is that's all great, but I can get you 80% of the value right now. Yeah, that's a, a great explanation that and again, I think you know, all of those tools and techniques are, are really valuable. Um, they're a great way, a, a great possible way of doing defect elimination, but they're not entirely necessary. And particularly when you're talking about these small defects or minor stops, as, as you guys call them, a lot of times it's, it's hard to justify that much overhead to solve such small problems. And yet these are the things that um, number one, are just irritating. And so it's it's very demotivating if you're somebody working in that environment to constantly be dealing with these little irritating problems every day, multiple times a day. But the second thing is when you look at it in total, they're actually pretty sizable. And so they don't, they're not as interesting and sexy as the big problems, but a lot of times they're costing every bit as much money as, as the larger kind of technical issues that get addressed by the reliability groups. So I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think a lot of times uh, organizations get turned off by sort of the upfront investment of, of improving reliability if you have to have this ginormous kind of program in place. And, and what we've seen is if you just get get people to take care of the things that they already know about. And nine times out of 10, they already have either a solution or, or they are fairly certain of a way to, to solve the problem. Um, give them the, the freedom and, and the structure and the, the uh, maybe a little bit of budget, but not much to, to go ahead and implement the solutions that are already kind of top of their mind. You get the solutions and you also get the buy-in and enthusiasm of those people that touch the equipment every day. I, I got to tell you, so, so we just hired my daughter for social media and marketing, Angelica. And we're shopping around, you know, how are we going to get her to understand the business better? And the first class we're sending her to is, is the course you're offering at SMRP. So, I, I mean, that tells you a lot, Michelle. That, that's how much we believe in what you're doing. That's I'm so excited to meet her, George. I've already kind of hooked up with her on LinkedIn and, and had a couple of conversations with her, um, just you know, virtual conversations. But I'm really looking forward to meeting her in person. And and I, I hope that the experience is really going to give her a, a good understanding of the big picture. And then as you guys get into a lot of the specific tools and techniques that you use, uh, that'll make more sense because she'll have the context there. And I think that that's what we see in a lot of our our workshops and you know, we obviously include operators and mechanics and engineers but we love to have everybody else the finance people the procurement people um, the marketing people all of those folks in there as well because it helps them to understand what operators and mechanics face on a daily basis yeah it, it, you know what's interesting to me is that 
defects become white noise inside an organization. It's the it's the fan running in the back, right? It's 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 always been that way. Those things are defects. If you're in your plant today and walking around and there's a mess someplace and it's always been like that, or, or even if it's a valve leaking or a machine that makes a noise that you know it ain't supposed to make, but it does it every day, those things are are what Michelle's talking about. That I mean, that's what you're... I guess my question for you, Michelle, is how do you get the mindset when people just it it's in the background? How do you change the mindset of the people? Yeah, it's an excellent point. I think the the sort of technical term for that is standardization of deviation, right? That we get used to things being a certain way, even though at some point we probably knew it wasn't right. Um, we've just gotten so used to it that we don't even notice it anymore. And I think that's a huge part of what our workshop does. So we use, um, you mentioned the manufacturing game. For those that don't know, it is a physical board game with poker chips and fake money and dice and the whole nine yards. And we use it as part of a two-day workshop to start by sort of building awareness of, of defect elimination and defects that are already in the system, and then to inspire people to go do something about it. And so the first part is, is what you were talking about. You have to get people to notice again. And that's a huge part of, of what I think the game brings to light is that people say, oh yeah, I we do have a lot of that. And I've gotten so used to it, but you're right that it shouldn't work that way. And you know sometimes there are defects that we can't do anything about. And so we have to kind of put them to the back of our mind to get through the day. But we, we want people to start having that. Let me let me see the defects I can take care of. You know, and I had an interesting conversation with the group. I was actually training them to be facilitators. And there was one person who uh, at the site that was was really skeptical. And so he kept talking about they had a big problem with steam leaks. And so he's, you know, there's just nothing you could do. There's thousands of them and we need to do a survey and we need to get the money, blah, 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 blah. And I kept trying to push to say, look, just don't tackle them all tackle them one at a time and do it with the people and the resources that you already have available and kind of went on and on well each day as we go into the plant we'd pass by this one steam leak and so he'd say yo but where do you start i'm like how about that one because it irritates (laughs) me every day and you know he he kind of blew it off well the next day that steam leak's not there anymore somebody had overheard me and took care of it. And it's like, that's that's how you do it. Not necessarily going after everything at once, but going after those small things one at a time. And then that really builds the momentum because after that one was gone, I noticed four or five within the next day that were gone. Once people kind of get that, well, you know what? That wasn't that bad. That wasn't that hard to do. And gee, isn't life better to not have to walk around this steam lake? Um, that's part of what gets people juiced about it again and, and gets them back. Cause at one point they probably cared when they first started, they probably noticed and they cared. And over the years it became background noise. Oh yeah, no doubt. And, and I, I firmly believe that, that generally speaking, most folks want to do the right thing and know that it's not right. But like you said, it it's, it, you get absorbed by the blob, right? I think we were on a podcast uh, with Tom Moriarty the other day and he, he said that, Things get absorbed by the blob is how he explained that. I love that. Um, the whole background thing. And it, and it's true. So so here's what, what else I think is interesting. The, the game, the manufacturing game, it's not about maintenance for the sake of the asset. It, can you So it, in the way I like to kind of put it is, you know, most folks in maintenance and reliability are focused on maintenance for the sake of the asset. 
they think their existence is to make that asset as reliable as it can possibly be. And at their, the business context is non-existent. And so they focus on breakdowns and they focus on PMs. Yes. And they don't focus on all the defects that are causing all of those other issues or causing issues that never actually result in a breakdown like you brought up earlier. Yes. How does the manufacturing game address that? And what should folks that come in thinking it's about maintenance and reliability know before they sit down? Yeah, so the game actually started with a worldwide benchmark that was done by DuPont in the 1980s. And it, it was done through the maintenance organization. And so their initial goal was to kind of prove to the higher ups at DuPont that they needed to spend more money on maintenance. And through this process of collecting all of this data and modeling it and so on, the number one lesson they learned is it's not about maintenance. We are not, we are not a maintenance contracting company selling maintenance services. We are a chemical company selling our, our products. And so maintenance is part of this bigger picture, which is the entire business. And so that's why it's known as the manufacturing game, not the maintenance game, not the reliability game. It's a, it's about the manufacturing process. It's about delivering product to the customer. And so that's, I think a, a huge emphasis that we have in the game is not about specific sort of maintenance tools and techniques, but it's about with all of these defects in our facility and coming in on a regular basis, how do we stay focused on delivering value to our customer? And how do we do that working in as a team, that it's not something that maintenance can solve or operations can solve or procurement or engineering? It's going to take all of us because it, it takes all of us to get product out the door. And I think that's maybe one of the, the big differences is just that that focus on um, the, the end user, the customers. One of the interesting examples we had, we were working with a, a pipeline company and they had this pump that they just had unbelievable trouble with. And so they went through all the various gyrations to try and Im improve the performance of this pump. And finally, someone said, you know, the pump's at the top of the hill and it's the last stretch before we load onto the ship. I think we have enough pressure that we don't, you know, just the, the between the pressure we already have and gravity, I don't even think we need this pump. So they took the pump out, never had another problem. <laughs> you know, so that's one where if you're if you're focused on making the pump work, you're going to miss out on the fact that hey, all we need to do is is get product on the ship, and if we don't need the pump to do that, get rid of it. Yeah, I think that's amazing. You know, you really do have to focus on what your goals are as an organization, and then the context of maintenance and reliability in in connection to those goals. So that that's a really interesting point for me. So it. It, when you when you facilitate this exercise, who all's involved in the organization? So our preference is to have what we call a diagonal slice. So we definitely want people across different functions. We want operators, mechanics, procurement. If we can get finance, that's great. If we can get marketing, that's wonderful. Engineering, reliability, safety, environmental. Um, but we also like to have different levels in the organization. And this is where we run into a lot of challenges because most organizations want to bring in their senior leadership first and then take it to the next level, next level, next level. Um, what we find is that, you know, all of these groups have to work in concert across levels and across functions. And so it's better for them to participate in the simulation together. Um, and so what we like is, is to have no uh, air quotes them in the room. 
So you can imagine if I have a room full of mechanics, all of the problems are because of operations. And if I have all operators, it's the mechanics. And if I have all senior leadership, it's the frontline workers that just won't do it. And if I have all frontline workers, it's because senior leadership won't let them do the things they know how to do. So by having everybody kind of represented in the room, you get past a lot of that. And I think people then get a, a sense of, of trust that, hey, we're all trying to do the right thing. We all have different pressures on us. And so sometimes I do something that's the wrong thing to do, um, but it's not because I'm malicious or unintelligent, but it's because I'm, I've got these competing things and I have to do the best I can do. And I think when everybody sees, hey, we're all in the same boat, we're all striving for the same goals, um, then they get much better at, at helping each other to to achieve it. So, you know, I, I like to have a little bit of everybody in the room, but obviously there are far more frontline workers in an organization. So it's going to be a little bit heavier towards the frontline workers. Um, but I love to have the managers in there with them. There's just nothing quite like having, you know, the plant manager sitting across from a mechanic playing a board game and talking about strategy for improving reliability and improving customer service. That's it's impressive on, on both sides, right? The frontline people appreciate that the senior leader is, is willing to be in the room with them. And the senior leader appreciates all the valuable contributions that the frontline has um, that ma they maybe don't see on a daily basis because they're, you know, four or five layers removed. But, but I have to say, I have some sympathy, George, because I you know there, there are some particularly plant managers that I know that, that I have a lot of respect for. And one of the things they tell me is what they've had trouble with, especially if they've come up through the ranks, is that they have all of these new duties that they have to take care of that include you know, a lot of the financial stuff and the schmoozing with investors and those sorts of things. Uh, a lot of them would love to be back on the floor and they can't be. And so, you know, the really good ones count on the frontline supervisors and the frontline workers uh, to, to be their eyes and ears. Yeah, no doubt. And so you brought up an interesting point about how, you know, people are collaboratively trying to figure out the strategy of the game in order to be successful. What's interesting is a lot of times what Joe and I find is, you know, we'll, we'll go into a plant and they'll have this corporate requirement of reducing their costs by a penny someplace and procurement figures out a way to buy a less expensive part or raw material. Yep. And there's no connection to what that impacts in the operation downstream, right? There's no accountability to it. Yep. And I think what what your process looks at is to make sure that those teams are observing those defects coming in and identifying them early to mitigate them before they hit the plant floor. Is that is that a good analogy? Absolutely. And and if nothing else, just to think about it. So we've had some great success when we've had some procurement people in the room, uh, whether it's it's getting spare parts or, or getting raw materials, when they get a chance to hear directly from the operators and mechanics about all of the challenges that certain materials create for them, they walk out of the room with a very different experience. And so, you know, what we've we've seen is a lot of them will when they're thinking about making a change, they'll get in touch with some of those folks that were in the workshop and say, hey, let me run this by you. And, you know, sometimes there's, there's a great answer, which is, yes, we can get this cheaper and it's going to cause no problems with the process. Um, but but when it is going to cause a problem, they get that heads up of don't, you know, don't do this to us, that <laughs> you're going to save a penny on the front end and cost us a dollar on the back end. That that just doesn't make any sense for the organization. No, and it happens all over. So, so 
when folks show up and they're in the maintenance and reliability space, they come to these conferences, they, they experience the, you know, you wet the pallet, so to speak, and then they bring you back to their facility. Um, how much post session success do you hear about? You know, do you ever go back or have you, have you ever done any case studies with folks? Um, walk me through what the sustainable results look like after folks use your services. Yeah, so a lot of it depends on on how much they do. Like anything else, this is is not a silver bullet solution. So you know, have one one workshop with twenty something people and everything's perfect. It's about changing habits, and it, it like you said, it's it's very much about sustainability. And so this is just uh, the workshop is just the beginning of the effort to raise awareness and to kick off the first round of cross functional teams that are going to go out and eliminate a defect. But ultimately, the goal is, is to create a habit within the organization where we just don't tolerate defects. Um, having grown up in, in a DuPont family, they did a wonderful job of this with safety. That uh, not only was it something that all the employees did at the site, but they took it home. And, and as a child of a DuPonter, that was pretty frustrating. You know, you'd have a, a minor fender bender as a 16-year-old, and, and you'd think, oh, my gosh, just punish me. I really don't want to have to do the accident investigation. <laughs> and, and so, But it was something that it was, it was ingrained. It wasn't just something you did at work or you yeah. did because you had to. It was part of the way that you do business. Um, they didn't have as much success in translating this to defect elimination, but the organizations that have had a lot of success, that's exactly what they've done. They, they basically wind up with a culture that just says, we just don't tolerate things that aren't what aren't right. We don't let it become the white noise in the background. And so when we see a defect, we pull the right people together who can take care of it. And, and um, we do what we can do. Some defects are out of our control. And so we, we live with what we have to, but the things that are within our control, we make sure that we get out there and take care of them. Um, so it, it depends on how completely organizations em, embrace it. The, the organizations that that really take it on and involve most of the people in the organization on the process have had not only substantial improvements, but sustainable improvements. Um, one of the things that, that I found interesting, one of our really early successes, this was 25 years ago, was a refinery up in Ohio. And, and we touched base with them periodically just to see how it's going. And it was one of the times it had been probably seven or eight years. And we said, you know, how's it going? They, they were they were kind of bummed out. Oh, it's it's gone away. We don't do it anymore. And so we started pushing, well, what do you mean by that? And what they started talking about were some of the sort of the details of the process that got defect elimination in place. But when we said, well, you know, how do you handle defects? Turns out it was it was all still there. It was just now in their habits as opposed to being a program or a process, it was just the way they did business. And so, you know, they were kind of bummed because the process went away and I'm like, oh, hallelujah, this is exactly what you want. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you want it to be a no brainer. Right. And I don't, you know, company, there's lots of people I respect in this industry that focus on policies, procedures, structure, and all that stuff. And I think th those things need to be in place if there's a lack of organizational discipline and where standardization is necessary for control of results. Yeah. I, I don't think that's necessary in this case. And, and I don't think that a formalized program has any additional value other than the organizational discipline that you're trying to create to, to create behaviors. 
And I, so that's a really awesome case study. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly it, George, that it's just, it's about having this, this different way of, of working and that it, it's got to be kind of, uh, it, it's got to be in your habits, right? Ultimately, if it's not in your habits over time, you're going to stop doing it. How do you deal with, you know, sometimes defects come in and if you're the shop floor, you're going, this isn't right. This isn't right. And, you know, folks above you are going, well, that's what we got to so deal with it. <laughs> and figure out how to operate with it. How do you coach those folks um, to communicate in a way that opens the eyes of the folks that are saying, make it white noise? That's a great question. A, a lot of times in my experience, what I found is, you know, when, and, and I know I do it, when somebody comes to me and is complaining about how I'm doing something, my first thought is they want me to fix it and I'm busy and it's not a priority for me. And so I may say some things to kind of dismiss them. But when someone comes to me and says, here's this issue I see and here's how I can fix it, I'm a lot more open to that. And so that's one of the things that that I really encourage people to do is you know, look for the solutions that, that you can provide. And, and sometimes the answer is it's out of my control and that's fine. Uh, but I think we have a lot more control than, than we realize we do. Uh, we had one example where there was a, a butane sphere that would get hot every summer and was causing some safety concerns. Turns out it was also causing a lot of product loss, which nobody really knew about at the time. Um, but they had come up with an engineering solution to insulate the sphere, but this was kind of a half million dollar project. And there was not much of a chance that it was going to get approved. Um, but there was a group that said, you know, I'm really passionate about this, mainly because it was somebody that worked in the area and was concerned from a safety standpoint. And they said, you know, let's keep thinking, is there something else we can do? And they came up with a way of, of installing just a larger cooler that brought the temperature down and, and eliminated the safety problem. At that point, they figured out they were also accidentally flaring a million and a half dollars worth of butane every year. So it solved that problem as well. Um, but it was just being creative about it, you know, not getting stuck on this is the solution. And if management won't support it, then I quit. Um, instead to say, well, what else? What else could we do that would, would help us deal with this defect or make this defect go away? That is awesome. And and I just, I absolutely love the product, the the approach, the um, discipline it creates, the organizational cultural evolution it generates. It's it's really phenomenal. So Michelle, um, where will you guys be at? Uh, you know, conference season's coming up. Um, where will you be attending? How can folks get more information about Frontline Solutions? All right, so we are gonna be at SMRP, as you mentioned, looking forward to meeting your daughter there. Um, we will be having a game play, I think on the, the first day. So it's the SMRP conference in St. Louis. Um, we'll be having a game play on the Monday of the conference. And then I've got a presentation uh, later on in the, the week, which, um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about a little bit, I, I really focus on what I call the soft, squishy side of reliability, kind of the human side as opposed to the technical side. And that's part of, of what my presentation is going to be about is uh, kind of coming up with the stories that create a reliability culture. Um, so going going beyond facts and figures and, and technical issues and really getting at that that reliability culture. Um, we also are going to be doing gameplays at two of the SMRP chapters. So we'll be in Denver for the Rocky Mountain chapter and Kansas City for their chapter. And that's the week of November 8th. 
Um, in terms of getting in touch with me or learning more about the manufacturing game or frontline solutions, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I think it's uh, my URL is linkedin.com slash n slash Michelle Lede Henley, L-E-D-E-T for Lede. Um, and of course, website. So it's www.manufacturinggame.com. Awesome. Well, I, you know, we'll put some links in our social media posts as well so they can get in touch with, uh, with your organization or directly with you. Um, thank you so much for being our guest on, on Practical Reliability. Uh, Michelle, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been wonderful talking to you, George. And, and thanks for providing the, the platform. I really appreciate what you and Joe are doing for the community and, and giving people a chance to kind of share their expertise so that we can all learn from each other. Awesome. Thanks again. You have a great day. You too, George. Awesome. Uh, I'm George Williams for Practical Reliability. Go make tomorrow better than today.